Well, you know, it feels like Christmas in here, but it doesn't feel like Christmas out there. You know, because we live in East Texas and it's 70 degrees in the early December. You know, only in East Texas do we have the joy of having 70 degree days in December. Oh, me, fun stuff, fun stuff. Well, again, welcome and, and thank you for joining us this morning. We're so glad you decided to come to worship with us. You know, last week we, we finished a series. We were in a series for 15 weeks that we called Follow Me, where we were looking at the life, the teachings, and the miracles of Jesus through the eyes of the disciples. We followed them along, all of these miraculous events, all of these amazing things that happened in Jesus' life that they were witnesses of. But when they met Jesus, Jesus was a, a man. He was a full-grown man. They, Peter was fishing with his brother and his business partners, James and John, uh, whenever they met Jesus. He was already a man. And as we get ready to celebrate Christmas this year, we're going to go back to before Jesus was a man. Whenever God became human, he came to us in the humble form of a baby. And was born under the most humbling of circumstances and miraculous of circumstances. And as we get ready for this, I want us to prepare our hearts and minds to stand in awe of this birth. To, to really understand what it means that our God became like one of us. That he put on human flesh and became like us. It's such a magnificent thing. And we're going to call this series that we're in all the way through Christmas. It's called Emmanuel. We're going to talk about what that name means and the importance of it. But this time of year is always fun, right? We always get to have nice decorations up here. I get to not be alone on stage anymore. I'm joined by uh, one of the angels. This is perhaps Gabriel or Michael. I don't know which one. They decorated so beautifully. Hey, ladies, thank you all. If you helped decorate, thank you so much. It's so beautiful. I actually give them a round of applause because I like these trees. We're, I heard there's another huge one, but we'll, we'll see if that one uh, miraculously appears through some Christmas elves. <laughs> all, all this work was done by our wonderful Christmas elves up here. We appreciate it. But as we go into this time of year, we, we start celebrating. We get, everybody gets real festive. We start hearing different songs on the radio. We hear Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas about a million times. And honestly, all I want is to not hear that song. But we sing so many of these songs, and it can come to a point where we no longer are really impacted by them, if that makes sense. You get so used to singing these songs that they lose impact on you. And I want us today to, to consider one, one, one of my favorites. Some of the lyrics go, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. It's a beautiful song lyric, but it doesn't quite strike home with us. We live in America. We live in the, the, the land of the free and the home of the brave, right? We're, we're not captive. We're not oppressed. We are not held down. We're not occupied by Rome. We haven't been in a, in, through generations of being uh, plagued and just beaten down. In fact, we're so used to being the winners, we don't know what it's like to go into hard seasons like we've faced over the past couple of years. 
But for the Jews, as they were looking forward to the coming of their Savior, this promise that God had made to them to send them a Savior, to bring them out of their captivity, to rescue God's people, and to bring them where He had always planned for them to be. You can imagine what it would be like to live day to day being oppressed Hoping and waiting and looking, maybe today God's going to send our Savior. Maybe today's the day. No. Maybe today's the day. No. Maybe today, for generation and generation and generation, they longed for their coming Messiah. They went through so many wars and, and, and captivities and being taken over. There's so many throughout the history of the Bible. Go look at the Old Testament. It's victory and defeat, victory and defeat. They're longing for their Savior, for God to fulfill His promise. But before we look at this Savior, we've already looked at His adult life. We're going to go back and look at His birth. And as we prepare for His birth, we're going to talk today about why He needed to be born in the first place. We want to see why he, he came to us in the first place. Before there was a baby in a manger, before there was Mary and Joseph and the angel came to them, God revealed a word to a prophet named Isaiah in the Old Testament. A prophecy that is retold and fulfilled in the gospel writers, especially mentioned in Matthew. And as we look at Isaiah, there's, there's numerous prophecies about the Messiah to come. If you haven't ever spent any time in Isaiah, I highly recommend it. But today we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. It's of it's a particular interest to us. And without going into too much history or buildup, long story short, Isaiah is a prophet who gets sent to a king named Ahaz. Ahaz was the king of Judah at the time. And Ahaz was a bad man. We'll just put it that way. Ahaz did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord. So God sends Isaiah, a prophet, to him. And he goes to King Ahaz. And I, speaking for God, Isaiah says to him, Ask any sign of the Lord. And he'll do it. Anything under heaven and on earth, ask him and he'll do it. But Ahaz didn't want to follow God. So Ahaz, pretending to kind of be humble, said, I'm... I'm not going to put the Lord to the test like that. I'm not going to do it. He didn't want to have anything to do with God. If he asked God for a sign and God proved it, then Ahaz felt he would be obligated to follow God. And he didn't want to follow God. So Ahaz refused to ask for a sign. And then God, speaking through the prophet Isaiah, said, then the Lord himself will give you a sign. Let's look at this in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, we hear the name Emmanuel in songs this time of year, right? I mentioned one earlier. We hear that name. It's something that we, we sing. And sometimes I feel like we can give these uh, these names for Jesus without really understanding the implications behind it. And what does Emmanuel mean? Matthew explains to us in his gospel that Emmanuel means God with us. God with us. And for us to understand the importance of that, 
for God to be with us, we need to go back even further. We need to go back before God rescued and delivered Moses and the Israelites so out of Egypt, right out of their captivity and slavery in Egypt. We need to go back before God made a promise to Abraham that he would be God to Abraham's offspring and give them the land of Canaan. We've got to go all the way back to the beginning, back to Adam and the garden. You see, whenever God created this world... His intention was for us to dwell with Him. When God created the world, everything was good. If you look at the creation account, He did this and it was good. Behold, it was good. It was good. It was good. The first time God says something is not good is when He says it's not good for Adam to be alone. I'm going to make a suitable helpmate for him. We'll talk about that relationship another day. But Adam and God lived They were able to be together. Adam was able to be in his presence. He enjoyed his presence. God spoke to Adam and told him what to do and what not to do. And that was their relationship. They got to enjoy this. That's how it was always supposed to be. We realize whenever God created this world, it was meant to be a world without sin, without curse, without hardship without toil, without heartache, without sickness. When God created the world, that's the way the world was. That's how he created this world for us. That's the world we were meant to dwell in. But when sin entered this world, our relationship with God was shattered. And suddenly the curse of sin brought death and darkness to the entire world because of our sin. God put us in charge over the whole world. He gave dominion of the world to Adam. So when Adam fell and the curse came upon Adam and Eve, it cursed everything that was under them. And we plunged into darkness. And God was no longer with us. They died spiritually that day. He said, if you eat this fruit, then you will surely die. And that day they did die spiritually. But God in His grace and His mercy allowed them to live physically because He had a plan. Now I want us to think about this. If Adam and Eve died spiritually in that moment when they sinned, how could they ever be brought back to life? Life does not come from death. Life only comes from life. Only something living can produce life. Dead corpses don't really get up by themselves, do they? Only something living produces life. As the same was with God, so with man. We cannot bring ourselves back to life. What I want us to understand is that when God made the world, when he first gave life in creation, God gave life where there was nothing. He created the world and gave life where there was nothing But in redemption, in salvation, God gave life where there was death. We need to understand the difference between these two things. Because we were created to be with God. But we had fallen into a world without Him. Because we chose disobedience. And if we were going to be back with God, only God himself could make that happen. We cannot make ourselves right with God. The scriptures prove that over and over and over again. Man, it is impossible for man on his own to be made right with God. 
for us to be alive with him, we, he had to do something. But let me ask you this. What kind of God, a perfect God, would want anything to do with a sinful, rebellious, hard-hearted, prideful creature such as man? If you were the perfect being in this universe and this created thing that you made rebelled against you and thought itself wanted to be like you and, and take your place, you wouldn't have anything to do with that creature. But God is not like us. He does not love like us. So after sin, let's, we're going to look back in Genesis and see what he does. After the sin, there is a punishment, there is a curse, and rightfully so. The wage of sin is death. And sin will be punished and paid for. But as we look at the justice of God in this curse, we also see the mercy of God in this curse. When we go all the way back after the first sin, turn with me back to uh, Genesis chapter 3. As we get there, what we need to understand is that in Adam, all have died. Because we are born under Adam, we have all died. We are all spiritually dead when we are born. Let's go back to the garden. As you're going back to chapter 3, I'm going to kind of set this up for you. We're going back into the garden. Remember, everything was perfect. God had a command for them. You're only not supposed to eat from this one tree. And the serpent came to Eve and lied to her. So she took some of the fruit that God had told them, don't eat from this one tree. She took from it and ate, and she gave some of it to her husband who was with her, right? And he ate as well. And when they did, their eyes were open. They realized they were naked, and they went and hid. The moment their eyes were open, their innocence was gone. They had fallen. They had died spiritually and were separated from God. And the first time in the scriptures, you'll hear Adam say, I heard you were coming and I was afraid of you. Adam had never been afraid of God before this. It's not mentioned in the scripture. Adam and God used to walk together. God spoke directly to Adam as a friend. But in this moment, Adam is afraid of God. So uh, Genesis 3 verse 9. So they go, they sin, they run and they hide. They hide behind the bushes. They hear God coming. And the Lord called out to the man. He says, where are you? Now we know that God knows exactly where they're at. God is giving Adam a chance to come running to him. God is giving Adam a chance to turn away from his sin and repent and come running to his father. But Adam hides God knew their sin, and yet he pursued after them. See, it wasn't Adam who went looking for God. It wasn't Eve who went looking for God. It was God who came looking for them, and they ran and they hid. He knew their sin, and yet he pursued after them. And Adam responds to him in verse 10. He says, I heard you, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid. Adam was scared of God. He was scared of his punishment. Now, any of us who have children or have ever had children, we've seen this dynamic play out, 
When your, when your children haven't done anything wrong, they'll come running up to you, give you a big old hug. They'll play and wrestle and do all that stuff. And it's, it's a fun, fun time. But there's other times when you're at home and, and all of a sudden you can't hear the kid anymore, right? You've all know this feeling. It gets too quiet in the house. So what happens when it gets too quiet in the house? You start looking. The difference is God knows. We don't, but hey, where are you? And what's that kid doing when they were up to something mischievous? What are they doing in that moment? A lot of times they're hiding. They come running. We've had it happen a few times where Mia, whenever she was little, little, okay, not, not recently, but she was little, little, and, and we, we heard Mia scamper by one time. We're like, Mia, is everything okay? She goes, nothing. A little hand was covered in brown sugar. She had been into the brown sugar in the pantry and was just eating it out of the thing. But when she heard us coming, she took off flying, trying to get away from us, wanted to go wash her hands, clean up, and get out of there. Nothing. We've seen that dynamic because you don't have to teach a kid that, do you? When they're not doing anything wrong, they're all lovely. They love you. They know everything's great. But when they've done something wrong, suddenly they're afraid of you. That was Adam and God here. Adam says, I, I, I was naked and afraid. And God said in verse 11, who told you that? That was not something that God had revealed to them. He said, did you eat from the tree I commanded you not to? Did you do the one thing I said don't do? God gave them all of creation and, and withheld one thing for himself. That's a very generous God. This is all his creation. He just says this one thing, don't, don't, don't touch it. That one's mine. Did you do the one thing I commanded you not to? Who told you you were naked? God know, knew all of this. He knew the sin. He, he knew what had happened. And what does Adam do? How does he respond? Does he, does he come and, and repent and say, I'm so sorry, God. I did it. I should have. No. He shifts blame to Eve. In verse 12, he says, well, God, the, the, the woman whom you gave me, it was actually, God, actually, you're the one who gave me the woman, so she gave me the fruit. So then God goes after her, too. He's pursuing her, giving her an opportunity. And he says to her, what is this you have done? Again, it's not that God doesn't know. He's giving them an opportunity to repent. And then the woman shifts the blame too, doesn't she? She says, well, it was the serpent who deceived me and I ate. This entire time, God is pursuing them. He's asking them these questions because he's trying to prompt them to repentance. But as I said, God's justice must stand. Sin will be dealt with. In this next passage of scripture, we, we find curses. For God curses the serpent, he curses Eve, he curses Adam. But if you ever, when you go back, we're not going to get through all of it today. We just simply don't have time. Go and find the blessings among those curses. The blessings among the curses? Oh, yeah. God says, from your toil, you're going to eat. He's telling Adam, you're still going to eat. God was still going to let him live. He told Eve, in your, in your, chi in your childbearing, there's going to be pain. He's still going to allow her to bring life into the world. That's a blessing. But I want us to look at what he does to Satan, to the serpent. 
We look at uh, verse 14 there when we begin this curse. It said, the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field and on your belly you shall go and dust shall you eat all the days of your life. But this part right here says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Between your offspring and her offspring. Remember back with me when we went through our series with Abraham, God promised to be God to his offspring. This passage right here, if you bring that back up for me, Kip, that passage right there that talks about her offspring is the first messianic prophecy in the Bible. This is the first mention of that Jesus would be coming. Not Jesus in creation, but that Jesus would be coming. That someone would be coming from a woman who would crush the head of the serpent. Between your offspring and her offspring, Jesus called Satan the father of lies. If Satan's the father of lies, Jesus is the truth. His offspring, Satan's offspring, is lies, deception, sin, darkness. All of that is the offspring of the father of lies. Jesus is the offspring here. And what is Jesus going to do? Jesus is going to crush the head. When you crush the head of something, a snake, it dies. He says, you will bruise his heel. He was also predicting right here, God was saying that Jesus will taste, this offspring will taste the sting of death. But he's going to deliver the greater blow and crush you and your offspring to Satan. This curse against the serpent is actually a hope given to us if we understand it properly. So this is the first time that this is is mentioned. And over the centuries, God revealed other parts and pieces to his plan, right? Again, we were made to be with God. We were separated from God. And in this, God says there's going to be someone come to defeat that which has separated us. This offspring that was promised, just like God promised an offspring to later, generations and generations later, that he would be God to him and give his offspring the land of Canaan. But why does God do all these things? Why would God, after the sin had occurred, why would God, why didn't he just punish the sin right there? They deserve death. Why didn't he just strike them down and start over? Because that's not what God intended from the get-go. After God, go with me, follow me through the story here. After Abraham, a few generations later, comes Moses. We remember, at that time, the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt under Pharaoh. And God delivered them out of Egypt. He delivered them out of their slavery. If we think of this as a metaphor, slavery is a metaphor for sin. We are enslaved to our sin, and it is God who comes and sends us a deliverer to bring us out of that land and into the promised land. The promised land is being with him. He says this in Exodus 29, verse 46, to the priests. After giving them some instructions about their sacrifices and all the things they had to do back in the Old Testament, he says to them, After all these instructions, he says, And they shall know that I am the Lord, their God. 
who brought them out of the land of Egypt, right here, pay attention, that I might dwell among them. Why did God bring them out of Egypt? That he might dwell among them. Why did God save you from your sin? Why did God send his son Jesus to die on that cross to redeem you of your sin? That he could come down from heaven that he might dwell among you. You say, well, what does God want? What is, what is God after in all of this? Why, why would he do this? He just wants to be with you. That can't be that simple, Aaron. It can't be. That, that can't be all God wants. What did he say? I did this that I might dwell among you. You ever thought what it is just to sit with God and enjoy him? Not striving, not earning, but just being with him, enjoying him. Well, no, 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 I got all this stuff to do. God's got this big list. He needs me to do this, 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 and this, this, this. That's great. It really is. But if you can't just enjoy being with God, all that's worthless. Just enjoy being together. I'm giving us a moment here just to enjoy being together. Don't worry, y'all don't need to do anything. I'm happy just being with y'all right now. I'm just enjoying, I'm looking around the room, enjoying your faces. I'm just enjoying you. Makes us a little uncomfortable, doesn't it? It's okay. It's okay. You need it to sink into your heart. That Jesus, that the God of the universe, that the creator, the almighty wants you. That he just wants to enjoy you and love you and be with you. That he has done everything necessary to remove every barrier between you and him. He's done it all. Just like in the book of Genesis, he knew their sin, and yet he pursued after them. He knows your sin, and he never stops pursuing you. He'll never stop pursuing you. Even after you come into relationship with him, he's going to pursue you every moment of your life. And if you're a believer, that never stops. Every moment he is pursuing you. He loves you. He, that sin has been nailed to the cross. He's done with all that. He's with you. Because he loves you. As we consider Jesus, we have, what we need to understand when it says God with us. Emmanuel. Jesus is the offspring that was promised to that woman Eve in the garden. He did come. 
He did crush the head of the serpent. He did die. He was struck at the heel. He's the promised offspring that was promised to Abraham. He's the one who came and delivered us from our slavery to sin. He's the one who was promised to Moses. What I want us to understand today is that Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, this baby, that he is the person of God. He is the presence of God. He's the promise of God. And he himself is God with us. God came to be with you. All he asks is that you be with him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. God, as we've considered this passage, as we've considered this name that you gave to tell us about your son Jesus. When you made this promise to Isaiah, when you made this prophecy, you didn't just say that you'd come as a conqueror, though you did. You didn't just say that you would come and, and defeat sin. You didn't just say that you'd come and rescue your people. But you told us that the heart, that the core, that the, that the very, what drives you, God, is that you want to be with us because of who you are. Not because of who we are, not because of who we were. We were the ones who sinned. And you're the God who pursued. You're the God who knew that we could never live up to your standard, so you came and lived up to it for us. You're the God who loves us. You're the God who made us to be with you. Pray, Lord, in the weeks ahead as we continue to prepare to celebrate the birth of your son, Jesus. Help us to realize what it means that God became a man. Became one of us. To fulfill your own goal of rescuing us to yourself. blows my mind to think about that God I can't I don't even understand it sometimes but I know it's true because you said it you've revealed your heart to us God may that revelation may that love your love stir our love to you God may that be the basis for everything we do everything we say everywhere we go Every decision we make, may your love and your life be the foundation that we live from. God, and I thank you that when you sent your son, that he did fulfill all the law and the prophets. And that those who believe in him are redeemed, they are saved, they are given your Holy Spirit, and we are with you now, Lord. We're not waiting until after this life. For believers, we are with you now. Help us to be aware of that. Help us to know what that means. To have God with us.
and God in us because of your son, Jesus. Lord, I also pray if there's anyone in here in this room that does not know you, that doesn't understand what it means to have you with them, to be in right relationship with you, I pray your Holy Spirit would work among them. All they need to do is trust and believe in your name to repent of their sin and to believe in you and they shall be saved. Lord, we thank you again for this gift. You gave us your son, the greatest gift ever. You gave us everything in him. May we honor that gift with thanksgiving and praise to his name. We love you. We thank you. We pray all this in the name of our Lord, our Savior, and our King Jesus.